Having difficulty meeting suppliers in today's environment? Browse products and build strategic relationships with official National Restaurant Association show exhibitors right now by visiting directory.nationalrestaurantshow.com. The virtual marketplace is free to all food service professionals with unlimited connections available to show registrants. Why are restaurants seemingly more resistant to state shutdowns this time around? Hello, I'm Jonathan Mays, Editor-in-Chief of Restaurant Business, and in this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, I speak with Peter Romeo, Editor-at-Large of Restaurant Business, to talk about the third wave of the coronavirus and its impact on the industry. States have been closing dine-in service again, but restaurants appear a lot more resistant this time around. They are filing lawsuits and even threatening to reopen anyway. We discuss how these efforts are going, we discuss the reasons behind the resistance, and we discuss chances for a federal stimulus or other government aid that could help the industry through this third wave to the part where we all get a vaccine. Please have a listen. Okay, I'm here with Peter Romeo. Peter, welcome again to the podcast. Thanks, Jonathan. As always, great to be with you. Okay, so uh, let's see. We're at the end of 2020. Um... And uh, what do you think was the single biggest story this year? Uh, I think the biggest single story for the industry in the years I've covered it, covered it is hands down the, the COVID crisis. Um, just, just think about what the shape we're in right now and the depths to which we've uh, traveled uh, over the last year because of that damned virus, um, it is really extraordinary. Uh, I remember early on back in March when we would report things and people would, readers would get a little upset saying, how could this be? You must be wrong. This must be fake news. Things like closing restaurants or, or closing dining rooms. It was just so extraordinary and just so previously unimaginable that I think from uh, years from now, this will be remembered as uh, truly a milestone and a benchmark against which all other challenges and catastrophes will be measured. Um, uh, It just affected every aspect of the business and we're still dealing with it. Yeah. To um, throw a few numbers out there for you, um, even as of November, um, the industry was approximately uh, had lost approximately two hundred and ten uh, billion dollars in sales this year. Mm. It uh, is still on a monthly basis is still seventeen percent lower than where it was a year ago. So it's probably uh, you know when adjusting for inflation, it's probably twenty one to twenty two percent below uh, where it really should be. Um, the number uh, one out of every five restaurant employees who had a job in February is out of work. Um, and somewhere in the neighborhood of 110,000 restaurants have uh, shut down. Um, and uh, an additional number are at least temporarily closed as we sit here. And, uh, you know, I mean, obviously nothing. Um, I mean, certainly in our lifetimes. Um, has had anything even remotely close 
to the impact that this has had. Um, I mean, if you go back, we both, obviously we both remember the Great Recession and um, you know, the remarkable thing about that is in 2009, there was an absolute decline in restaurant sales and that was unheard of at the time, mm-hmm. completely unheard of. It was just a shock to the system. We had a number of bankruptcies, a ton of banks called their loans on, and it took years for this industry to, to sort of recover from a financing standpoint, from that particular, um, from that particular event. And this one makes that look like a complete walk in the park. No so, doubt about it. No doubt about it. It, it, it. In terms of what I've personally experienced in covering the business and in those instances where I've looked back at the history of the industry, looking at obvious points of comparison like World War II or even the Great Depression, I would venture to say that even those disruptions were nowhere near as profound as what we've seen in the last 10 months because the industry is more mature now, it's more integrated into the American life and hence it suffered or not suffered because uh, indeed some folks did well but was impacted more than by those other uh, sort of logical benchmarks. Um, and, and there's so many surprises packed into that that whole experience. I mean, who would have guessed? If you think back to where we were in March, one of the things that we always try to put into our financial stories was the liquidity of uh, an operation. And now look at look at where we are. We have true stars, th- concepts that have really thrived or, or have benefited from tailwinds because of this. Who would have predicted that way back when or uh, anticipated that we'd see some of the bankruptcies that we've seen? Yeah, um, I, I still, you know, I mean, I think we've had somewhere in the neighborhood 25 to 30. I haven't counted lately the number of bankruptcies that we've had this year. I'm actually a little surprised we haven't seen more. Yeah. Um, and to me, one of the things, I mean, that's sort of indicative of an industry, you know, I mean, everybody owes everybody. And so everybody's getting a break on everything is roughly what's happened. And so, you know, like, you know, if we go back to 2009, you had a lot of lenders calling loans at that time. We don't really have that this time around. Uh, we do have some situations with landlords. I think uh, Chuck E. Cheese's biggest issue actually um, is frankly with its landlords more than it's with its, with its lenders, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have uh, a number of situations like that where, where landlord uh, tenant relationships are just sort of strained and difficult and push companies into bankruptcy. But for the most part, um, people are giving, you know, landlords are giving breaks. Um, you know, lenders are, are, are taking things easy on restaurants and that really hasn't had, uh, so not as many companies have gone into bankruptcy as you might've imagined. Uh, but then the other element is um, that, yeah, I mean, this industry is a lot more resilient, I think, uh, than it might've appeared companies um, really did a very good job. And I know this is something you've covered quite a bit. They've, they've done a very good job of making their operations just that much more efficient. They've cut from their menus. They've, they've um, you know, they've found ways to cut staffs. They've, um, uh, you know, they've, they've, they've found different ways to make do um, with, with a lot less. And, and certainly I think for casual dining in particular, that has really helped a lot of these companies 
sort of get through a, a very, very difficult time probably is going to help them this time around as well. Oh, I, I would wholeheartedly agree. And if you drill down on that, there are some surprises uh, in that bundle. Um, for one thing, I think that this crisis has been an endorsement of franchising because a lot of those ideas have come from the ground up. Those operators, they really, really know their businesses and they are the ones really keeping these concepts going and afloat. And how many times have we heard from corporate officers? Yes, uh, our franchisee in Altoona came up with this idea. Um, uh, yeah, it was very tough on the franchisees, but it really underscored that we're uh, an industry of small operators, often led by a big corporate entity, um, but those mom and pops, so to speak, and, and, and some sizable franchise corporations um, really were the think tanks that in many respects helped these chains get through it. So uh, it, it says a lot about the, the restaurant uh, model uh, that we had that. And, and as always, you see heroes and villains. You see folks who uh, acted heroically, who uh, handled things well. Um, we had any number of chains that provided free meals to their displaced employees uh, in part out of kindness and in part because it was smart business. It was a way of keeping in touch with those folks so that when things did return, maybe they had a little bit of a jump in bringing those people back. Uh, and then we had folks, uh, I, I remember getting the, an email from the mother of a young man who had worked for a casual dining chain and uh, we had reported that that chain was shutting all its restaurants and she worked, uh, she reached out to see if indeed her son was out of a job. It was just heart tugging. Um, and that chain eventually had some bigger problems, no surprise, but uh, they perhaps were not a model of how to operate in something like this. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so um, as we sit here, uh, Congress has just passed um, the next round of stimulus. And I wanted to ask you about that. Since we're on this particular topic and, and, and the pandemic is obviously still ongoing, its effects are still being felt, probably going to be felt roughly forever. Um, is there anything in this bill that will help uh, the restaurants specifically or not? Yeah, there are some things that will be of benefit, but uh, it will it is a lightning bug compared to the lightning bolt that we got with the CARES Act. Mm -hmm. uh, the real lifeline for the industry going back to April and the early part of the summer was the Paycheck Protection Program where operators could borrow up to two and a half times certain expenses uh, or a cap of 10 million. Well, this time around that cap is 2 million. And two million by a restaurant standard is not that long of a, uh, a ramp to a better time. So it, it's going to help, but not as much as that first time around. Hopefully uh, the hill that the industry needs to climb until the vaccines kick in and we take a giant step toward normalcy, hopefully that will be a short enough time. But, but that cap of $2 million on the PPP 
is is definitely a major difference. Now, uh, more of that of what the industry borrows can be forgiven. Um, the industry won a special concession where up to three and a half times certain expenses, basically payroll, uh, up to three and a half times can be forgiven as a, compared with two and a half times uh, forgiveness for those earlier rounds of, um, of uh, loans. Um, and there are a lot of little tidbits strewn throughout the bill. The bill was just under 5,600 pages. Um, uh, so it is a tome. Um, but there are some real nuggets in there. For instance, one of the big things is through a very puzzling decision on the part of the Internal Revenue Service, uh, forgiven loans, loans, PPP loans from 2020 that were forgiven, that might have become, uh, portions of that might have become taxable income if they were used for certain expenses because the IRS rules say that reimbursed business expenses uh, are not tax deductible. Well, this bill fixes that. And so that could be a difference of four or 5,000 to a, a sizable restaurant. So in this environment, that's significant as well, especially for small operators. Uh, so it, it, it helps, but clearly the industry needs more. And hopefully this will be the down payment that President-elect Joe Biden has described it as, and that we'll see another uh, wave of relief come February or March. Yeah, I uh, did. You read every all fifty six hundred pages. I assume you did, uh, at least once. Yes, of course. Uh, good. So I, I think. Um, I mean, to me, it seems like this one is sort of a. You know, I mean, it's 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 either it's going to really need a fairly quick recovery from the vaccine, or certainly a second round, a, a third round of stimulus in January. Otherwise, it's going to be a very short lived benefit. Um, the $600 is going to go fairly quickly. A lot of it's going to go to restaurants, frankly. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, that that's going to go, but it, it doesn't seem like this is a really long lasting stimulus package. And it's, it's something fairly, you know, temporary. It, it is a band aid, and, and really, yeah, that'll be, uh, the relief will be, uh, uh, gold to those operators who need it. But yeah, it is a stopgap. It is just to really help us get through the next, stay alive, keep the businesses alive for the next few months. But it certainly isn't the answer. It certainly isn't the bridge to uh, getting back to normal times. And we've got some scary things on the horizon. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, that situation in the UK with a more pernicious or more infectious form of the virus is very worrisome. Uh, and uh, we, the coverage to date in the general media has been about the health effects. But if you look at tourism, which accounts for 20% of the restaurant industry sales, uh, tourism from the UK is very significant for us here on the East Coast. And so losing that business um, going into 2021, um, that is another, another burden, another um, a straw on the camel's uh, uh, back. So, um, so we, there are a lot of ifs out there still. We're not in, out of the woods yet by any stretch of the imagination. No, not 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 even close. And it's it's going to be, you know, it's still going to be a fairly difficult few few months until we we until this um, 
more, a lot more people um, get the vaccine. Um, so, and, and one of that group, uh, one of the, um, uh, one group that's on that particular list is um, restaurant workers mm-hmm. to get yep. the vaccine. That's, um, yeah, that's really going to be interesting to see, see how that works. Yeah, you know, actually, I think the industry got a little bit of a raw deal in that regard. Um, yes, restaurant workers are prioritized. They are uh, actually they're on deck. We've got one more sort of strata of uh, Americans to go through uh, those uh, age 65 to 74 and certain other essential frontline workers like police officers, ambulance drivers, things like that. But if you go back to May or June, um, when you look at the list or the designation in most states of essential workers, restaurant workers were on that list. So they've been pushed back a little online because they're essential workers, but not, uh, or essential, uh, they're frontline workers, but not essential frontline workers the way those other groups are. So their classification has changed a little bit, but still, uh, that's a good thing because, as we know, one of the problems the industry has had is getting employees, even during this period. Um, it's a matter of are the wages worth the health risk in the eyes of many prospective rehires? And I'm sure you've heard it too that chains are saying that some parents don't want their, their teenage children to work in restaurants because, uh, because of the danger. Um, now, I know that there might be some parents out there who have a child who might work in the industry. Um, you know, I guess their sanity could be questioned a little. <laughs> uh, for the record, he's talking about me. Uh, my son, uh, my eldest, uh, actually does work uh, in a restaurant. Um, uh, and uh, so, um, and people might question my sanity, but I don't think that's the reason they would do that. Well, um, but, when the when the coal mine opens, reopens, do you think you'll send him back there to work there? Or? Of course I will. Okay, good. He's got to, you know what, look, I mean, he's, I've been paying for him for, for 16 years. It's time he start contributing. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, so, and the, um, uh, but that, you know, I mean, to your point, um, he has uh, multiple friends who's, I mean, he has uh, friends whose parents let them work, obviously. Uh, but he also has um, friends, including his his best friend. His, his mom won't let him work at this particular point for that particular reason because the virus is spreading very quickly. Um, you know, my personal view on it is I I tend to think that they take a lot of you know these restaurants take a lot of steps to make sure their employees are 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 safe. Everybody is everybody wears a mask at all times. Um, you know, he has a special branded mask he wears every time he goes in, um, and, you know, and take out and, you know, and drive through is, is a relatively safe way to do it. So, um, that's kind of, that's, that's kind of my view on it. And, you know, I, I think they certainly, you know, especially if you go back to, you know, if you go back to the March and April timeframe and, you know, this, you know, and, and if you look at, recall the supply challenges that there were in in the in the retail sectors um getting things such as milk or toilet paper or things like that you know the 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 you know the the u.s needs a certain number of restaurants to provide food for 
consumers. And we have just basically been built on the, you know, we, we have, we have built our lifestyles around the restaurant industry and it's really difficult to shift overnight like that. And so that makes these workers basically essential to uh, the food supply. And therefore I don't think there's any question that they should get the, the vaccine early. The interesting thing is how this ends up getting structured, you know, where, um, you know, where is, you know, I, I, I think it's going to be, it's going to challenge a lot of restaurant companies to deal with this to me personally. I mean, they're going to have to probably require their employees to get, to get vaccinated. I don't think there's any question about it. In looking forward and looking at sort of what will be the lasting uh, effects of the COVID crisis, um, I guess one of the questions in my mind is what will happen with the industry's labor force? You know, going back to when I was a kid, you know, several centuries ago, um, you worked in a restaurant because you didn't really have that many job options as a kid. You could cut lawns, you could work in a gas station, which I did, <clears throat> or you could work in a restaurant. But now we've got such an array of options for young people, um, particularly in the, the so-called gig economy, that I, I wonder what the perception of restaurant jobs will be among young people six months from now. And that impression might be greatly colored by how the industry ha uh, handles the next couple months mm -hmm. and what it says about its treatment of people during this crisis. And I, I think all in all, the industry, there are some bums out there, but all in all, the industry on the whole probably was a pretty good employer during this time in that um, uh, there, there seemed to be some extra care shown. Um, but uh, but I, I hope the industry handles it adeptly and uh, as a result um, can uh, restore its image as a the, the likely first place for young people to work. Yeah. Um, awesome. So uh, before, I think before in the last few minutes before we go, um, uh, what non-COVID stories do you think were the biggest of the year? I mean, it's off the top of your head, what do you think, do you, what do you think outside of the coronavirus and the corona, like, look, the pandemic has influenced roughly everything this year. I don't think anything has not been influenced by the pandemic, but what non-pandemic specific stories do you think uh, were the biggest? Well, I can't say that this is totally free of any effect uh, or, or, or any topspin from the pandemic, but I think the rise of virtual concepts is a phenomenon that will be with us uh, for a while, um, whether it's with us for good or with us for bad uh, is a question that's still out. Um, uh, there are so many ifs and so many asterisks to the rise of these concepts that uh, seeing um, what happens with the situation we'll be in six or 10 months down the road from now will, will be very interesting. But what we're really seeing is that restaurants are morphing from places to eat to kitchens. And the place to eat is in your Barco lounger in front of a TV where you're uh, streaming Netflix. Um, and, and that holds a lot of, lot of implications for the restaurant industry. Um, for one thing, they, uh, it has had to take on third-party partners in the form of delivery services, and we know that that relationship still has a lot of rockiness to it. Um, 
So I, I think the virtual uh, concepts uh, phenomenon, um, it's fellow traveler, ghost kitchens, um, that's less far afield and we will likely see a real boom in the population of ghost kitchens because there are so many commercial kitchens out there that would be otherwise idled by the restaurant they're attached to being closed. Um, so I, I think that uh, ghost kitchens are another phenomenon that will be, uh, will be closely watched. Um, uh, so uh, in terms of other stories, other things, you know, with, whenever there's a, a situation like this, you see sort of the power shift. And we have seen, in my estimation, a shift in power toward large franchisees. Greg Flynn buying the um, Wendy's and Pizza Hut units of NPC, uh, that will make him just a huge player in the market. I mean, really a power broker with so many brands. Uh, same thing with Sun Holdings. And, and these folks are really good operators, you know, so it's not like they're putting this together with bailing wire and gum. Um, these are really very well run corporate entities of scale. Um, and I think we're gonna see more of that because of the efficiencies that they provide. And then the story that boggles my mind, and yes, it began in 2019, but certainly carried over and to some extent is still alive today, is what happened with McDonald's. That is still a stunner. And in my uh, 30 odd years of covering the industry, I'd be hard pressed to name another situation as the one that uh, Steve Easterbrook let himself fall into with his dealings with female executives. For someone of that stature to act that way uh, and then to deal with the aftermath as he did, thinking he'd gotten away with it or uh, allegedly had gotten away with it by just forwarding his emails is mind boggling um, on so many respects. I, I try to think what could have been in his head when he was sort of uh, engaging in this behavior. Didn't he know he'd get caught? Didn't he realize that this is, uh, uh, he was trading a, a, a stellar career or ostensibly a stellar career for um, a, a few uh, uh, dalliances? It, it, it's just, it just shows you how fallible human beings can be. Um, and as I said in uh, one of our forecast stories coming up, uh, who knew that a guy with a billion dollar intellect would end up having a two bit moral compass? Um, it, it's just, it's just stunning. It's pretty mind bogglingly stupid is what it was. It's just, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know if you think of in our, our lifetimes, I don't think this one is, is if the words, but it, it's, it, it really is. It's, it's, it's important to put into context how really big of a deal he was before this happened mm -hmm. um he is you know probably was considered um really one of the very small handful of best executives in this industry mm -hmm. before this happened a very small number of like like if you just name the top if anybody was to name the five best executives in the restaurant industry his name would always come up he was 
uh, leading the biggest restaurant company on the planet. He turned, he largely turned it around, you know, and, and, and took a lot of other steps. I mean, like, look, there's not a lot of love for the man among the franchisee base. I can tell you that, uh, firsthand. Um, but, uh, he, you know, and then, you know, to have that happen, it was him, him, uh, getting that email that I got from PR while I was at the gym back in November of last year, um, was still really one of the more stunning moments of my journalism career. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then to have what happened, you know, and then to have the company basically just hammer them in August after discovering um, more evidence of more affairs uh, was just equally as shocking because I've never seen that before either. You just don't see companies throw their former CEOs under the bus to that extent um, to me. And I, I still think there's going to be a lot more to come out before that ends. Um, it's, uh, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was a shocking turn of events to me. Indeed. And, and you, you asked about other stories beyond COVID that really were big ones for the industry. One of those, and it sort of is colored a little by, by the Easterbrook situation. <clears throat> One of those stories was a non-story in that the industry's march toward diversity really was disrupted by this crisis, in my estimation. Um, <clears throat> you know, the other big national story, of course, was uh, uh, the dismay of the population with the disparity between uh, among people of, of color. And mm-hmm. the industry did not improve its record in that regard. I mean, we would be hard pressed to name two uh, female, well, three female CEOs of a public company. Um, uh, you know, we have Sandy Cochran and, and uh, we have uh, Ruth's Chris. Um, uh, but other than that, you know, we've gone the other direction. And in terms of people of color, there are few and far between. So that to me is a, a story that will become, uh, will make that situation more pronounced as we look back on 2020 when we're in 2021 and 2022. Yeah. I'd, I'd hope that within the next year or two that the number of um, women and people of color in top executive positions really increases considerably. Um, um, and, you know, that, that fact is actually dismaying. I mean, it is an issue in the McDonald's thing. Um, because they also got sued by, uh, you know, they've also been sued um, multiple times by multiple parties over discrimination. And a lot of it is rooted in, you know, in sort of the Easterbrook tenure, that it turns out that uh, the CEO really didn't care about it. Um, or at least that's the allegation. I need to make sure that's the, to, that's clear. That's the allegation is that he didn't really care that much about it. Um, I think that McDonald's has taken steps in the right direction this year since then, um, you know, uh, you know, to help with that. But um, anyway, one last uh, story I want to add before we go. Um, uh, w- one of the bigger stories and to me, probably the biggest non um, uh, COVID story of the year was Inspire Brands purchase of Duncan um, as the M&A guy. That's my job to throw that one out there. And that was a huge deal. It was the biggest one since 2014 um, uh, with the Tim Hortons purchase. Um, 
uh, by Burger King. It was a massive deal. Um, and boy, I've got to expect that you're going to see more uh, of the same from Inspire Brands. Eventually, we'll all be uh, employed by Paul Brown. It's just a matter of time, including us. Yeah, which probably wouldn't be a bad thing. Paul's uh, he, he has a different view of the industry, and he, he yeah. sees possibilities that I think other operators, uh, other CEOs might not uh, be aware of because he comes from a different place. Um, but he's building a heck of an empire there. I mean, he's got some brands that definitely need some repair work, um, uh, but, uh, but the brand names themselves are just so sterling that it's a matter of cleaning up rather than uh, bolstering their value and recognition. So it's a very, very interesting situation there. And of course, the question is what happens next? Um, you know, or will we see an IPO? Probably it makes sense. Um, will we see other brands added to the portfolio? What about the synergies? That's that's the one thing that I am not clear about is what synergies are being realized already between their very diverse and now very extensive portfolio. So uh, you know that could have an effect. If you look at their brands, they've got a uh, they've got a toe in a lot of different markets. Um, what benefits will their structure and sort of alternative approach deliver that we haven't realized yet? So sounds like I got to get Paul on the podcast so I can ask him questions like that. Indeed, indeed. And since we're going to be working for him, if you could put in a good word for me, that'd be we'll great. Yeah. <laughs> Peter, thank you very much for joining me again on the podcast. And uh, may everybody have a great 2021. And a happy holiday to you, Jonathan. Thanks a lot. Um, and anytime. And that should do it for this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, which was edited by Kimberly Kazmarek. Artwork by Nico Hines and Sarah Stewart. You can find this and other episodes of the podcast on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash deeper dash dive. You may also subscribe to this or to other restaurant business podcasts on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I'm Jonathan Mays, your host, the podcast producer, and the editor-in-chief of Restaurant Business Magazine. Thank you for listening. Having difficulty meeting suppliers in today's environment? Browse products and build strategic relationships with official National Restaurant Association show exhibitors right now by visiting directory.nationalrestaurantshow.com. The virtual marketplace is free to all food service professionals with unlimited connections available to show registrants.